0: Okay, this will be our introduction and the first lecture here on St. Teresa of Avila on her interior castle. And so we'll just do the first chapter today as well as a little introduction. So, did everyone, anyone get the book or we have it or we're reading it or we hate it? Okay, one person. Yay! Good. I have my electric tronic edition here, so... Anyway, I just as I said in the email, I recommend the E. Allison Piers translation. It's just very wonderful. It's uh, has a nice style to it. But you, other ones are fine. But that's the one I like the best. So okay. So just a little overview about Saint Teresa of Avila. You probably know about her, but just in case we don't. So she's one of the great figures of the Catholic Counter Reformation, as you know, along there with Saint John of the Cross and Saint Ignatius of Loyola, and all these other Saint Charles Borromeo. These just great giants of our faith right? So, of course, the Carmel had fallen away from its best insights, and she really led the reform. And then later on, she found St. John of the Cross kind of pining away in a prison, and she said, well, look, you gotta help me out. And so he did, and so he redid for the men what she did for the women of the Carmel, refounded it and brought it back to its original observance. So, at any rate, she's very wonderful. (laughs) So, she died in 1586. You can always remember when she died because it's that neat day that the 13 days were subtracted from the calendar because, excuse me, added because there had been too, um, well, no, excuse me, subtracted. There had been too many. So that's the great so-called Gregorian reform of the calendar, right? So if you get the Gregorian form, the Julian calendar and the Gregorian calendar, right? So the West follows the Gregorian calendar and some Eastern churches still follow the Julian calendar back there, way back then. And so that's why there's those two weeks difference sometimes. We'll have Christmas or Easter, and they'll have it two weeks later. But that was changed in 1586, the very night she died. So she died on October 1st, or as we now call it, October 15th. So it's kind of neat. Anyway, those things are always good to keep in your mind. So she died in 1586. So, okay. So she wrote all kinds of different books, but this is amazing, because she was traveling all over the whole Spain and the whole countries there, whole Europe, really, to reform the Carmels, and that was really her life. And so as she was doing this, she also was writing these amazing works of spiritual direction. The interior castle, I think, is the clearest, but some things are given a more fuller fuller presentation in the way of perfection and then the autobiography of her life. So you can kind of piece those are her three major works. She has many other ones, but those are the three major ones. I think the interior castle is the clearest and the simplest. So people think, wow, mystical theology and wow, this is really gonna be really complicated. It's really not. She's writing for her sisters many of whom were uneducated. She herself was from a noble family. She was educated, but as we know, the real science, as St. John the Cross would say, the science of the cross doesn't come from sitting in a library. It comes from being filled with the Blessed Trinity. So, but she had education as well, which explains her nice writing style, but also that's not so important. But anyway, so she was educated, but her sisters weren't so much. Some of them, some were, some weren't. But... So these these are really notes to her conferences that she gave to her sisters because they kept asking her, Holy Mother Foundress, how are we supposed to do this prayer and meditation you keep telling us about because we just fall asleep or we don't know what to do? Okay, so she said, all right, sisters, that's it. And she speaks in a very conversational style. It's not very formal and difficult. She's just speaking. And so it's very wonderful to read. So if you haven't gotten it and you're just too afraid or you think, wow, this is too hard, just go and get it because it's not like the Holy Father's works you've been going through, which are very dense and very academic. And she's just kind of breezy almost in her style. She's just talking and she'll have her sides and she'll kind of say, oh, wait a minute, I got off on the wrong thing and let's just keep going here. So they're not highly edited. She just keeps going. So it's very wonderful. It's very fresh. It feels like you're reading it. She's right there on the page. You can feel she's just right there talking to you. So she's wonderful. So I love her. She's a doctor of the church, declared by Paul VI, I believe. So we know we're in good hands. So no trouble. Only one of the three ladies, Saint Teresa of Lisieux and St. Catherine of Siena. Okay. Her compatriots in the doctorship of the church. So, okay. I think that serves as a good introduction. Now we have these different chapters. So the whole interior castle, of course, is divided up into this idea she has of seven mansions. And don't get too bound. Some people get really, okay, what's we have to know Don't get too locked into that. There's different ways to think about it. St. John of the Cross will use the more ancient distinction of the three ages of the interior life the way of the beginner, the way of the proficient, and the way of the perfect, also sometimes called the. Um, the purgative way, the um, illuminative way, and then the unitive way. Those are two ways of saying the same thing. Okay. So there's kind of a basic tripartite structure to the spiritual life. Saint Teresa has seven, so she makes a little bit more fine, finer distinctions in those three basic movements of beginner, intermediate, proficient. And so she divides those three up a little bit differently, but it's the same idea. So don't get to, uh, okay, what mansion is this? And, you know, okay. But these are a general way to speak about the Spirit. And so it's good. Some people will say, well, you know, we don't need any of that because, you know, I just have my Bible or whatever, and I don't need to know about... That's not true. We need to know what the spiritual life is about. We need a road map. So no one would set off from New York to San Francisco and say, no, I don't need a map. I'm just going to, you know, the, the Spirit will lead me where I go. Well, that would be extremely foolish because... You're not going to get there maybe at all. You might run up in Mexico and get killed or something. Who knows, okay? I'd be very foolish. And so we need to have a roadmap. We need to know what the basic structure of the interior life is so we know, (laughs) are we on the path? (laughs) Are we in the mansions? Are we making progress? Are we outside of the castle? Are we with the serpents and the poisonous beasts? Or what's happening? So we do need to know um, what we're doing and where we are because that lets us know how we can respond in our prayer life. Okay. So this is um, her book to help her sisters with that. And, of course, spiritual direction and the advice of a priest, that's also good. But she's very funny, of course. All the learned doctors in Europe were afraid to go and talk with her because there was all these great doctors and learned men who had said, I would much rather be examined by the entire theological faculty of the Sorbonne than to be examined by um, Mother Therese over there. Because their knowledge, when you talk with her, they realized how how little it really was compared with someone who really had that intimate communion with the Blessed Trinity. So, she was very learned and could always stump them, so they were afraid to go talk with her. Okay. And she's famous for saying wonderful things like, oh, I'd much prefer a learned and intelligent priest than a holy, stupid priest. Meaning for spiritual direction, she meant. So, she says in the confessional, that's great if it's St. John Vianney. He also had infused knowledge, so he would be fine. But she said, well, if the priest is very pious but is not to learn and he doesn't know, then I can't ask him these questions because he's not going to know how to direct me. So anyway, she's full of little uh, fun quips like that. So she has a great sense of humor. Okay, enough of the introduction there. I could talk all night about her because she's really great. Saint Teresa the Great, they call her, to um, distinguish her from little Therese. Okay, so big T and then little T. All right. So let's just take chapter one. So she divides the, her treatment of the first mansions, Let's talk about the title for a second. Sorry, it's not quite So in English, the interior castle, that's fine. Spanish, las moradas, literally the mansions, the mansions, the rooms, okay, the mansions. That's a good thing. Why? Again, don't get locked in, okay, seven mansions. So, yes, but there are hundreds and thousands of rooms, okay, distinctions in the spiritual life. So that's why I meant don't get too locked into the seven mansions. It's true, but... It's not as if, okay, if I'm in the first mansion and you're in the first mansion, that our spiritual experience is exactly the same. No. So it's in the plural. So there are many rooms in each of these major distinctions. Okay. So that's something important to know. So first mansions, we'll call this. First mansions. And she'll divide into two chapters. We're only going to do chapter one, I think, tonight because it's plenty. And then we'll talk about chapter two uh, next week, hopefully. So the first mansions. First, what does she say? This is her introduction. I began to think of the soul, as it were, a castle made of a single diamond or a very clear crystal in which there are many rooms, just as in heaven there are many mansions. Now, if we think carefully over this, sisters, the soul of the righteous man is nothing but a paradise in which, as God tells us, he takes his delight So that's going to be her primary image there. How beautiful is the soul as a diamond. It's a paradise, and we know about that, right? We know about that, that we have that imagery already from the Garden of Eden, that God strolled in the cool of the evening, like right now, in the garden. His delight, as it says in the Book of Wisdom, His delight was to be with the sons of men, and to stroll in the evening with Adam in the paradise. That's what paradise means. That's what paradise is—to be at one with God. And that begins even now in this life, as we know, but not if we're outside the castle. Okay. What is this castle? We'll get into it more here. She has this idea that, and she'll speak more about the recollection, that if we're in the state of mortal sin, okay, we're not in the castle. We're not alive. We're dead. We don't have spiritual life in us. Okay. That's the only real tragedy in the whole world. And so, how then do you go from death to life? Well, we know baptism, confession. But then, still, we can be living our lives not in a state of recollection. We're not recollected. We're not paying attention to the blessed Trinity that dwells within. And she says, well, we need to enter into the mansion. We need to enter into the interior castle. The soul, recollection, prayer. That is the whole that's the whole thing here. So that's what that is. So the soul is the interior castle. And it's incredible because God has made us in his image. And so he can choose to dwell there. <laughs> it's, we know this. This is our penny catechism, Baltimore catechism. But we kind of forget that. We kind of think, well, we pay much more attention to the things we can see and touch and everything. But really the blessed trinity dwells in the soul. And so that is the paradise. If we're in the state of grace, the blessed trinity is there even closer than the, he was with Adam. Well, then why don't we experience it that way? Why don't we experience right now, if we're in the state of grace, why don't we even sense and feel the blessed Trinity and that closely like Adam? That's because we're not ready. Even if we're in the interior castle, we're in the state of grace, please God, but. God dwells deep within. And she says, then it's obscure. We can't see. If the soul is like that diamond, God, the breast of Trinity, dwells way at the center. But we may be way out. So it's not so much going up. That's not her image so much. As as we start in the outside. And we have to be drawn into the center, which is God, of course. And so we're way on the outside here. First mansions, okay. Well, God dwells way in the middle. He dwells everywhere, of course. <laughs> but in his being in the intimacy, you might say, that seventh mansion is in the very much the interior, the most interior. And so it's pure diamond, but it's obscure, not because he's obscure, but because our souls we've made dark through our sins. St. John the Cross will use that example. Okay. And we're all, except Our Lady, stained with that original sin, so that also bends things the wrong way. So that's why we don't experience it as if we were Adam in the garden. It's our fault, not his. Okay. And we'll talk more about this, but we see, of course, as you know, the saints, even in this life, you can see them flame out sometimes, even with the great grace of God. Think always of St. Uh, Francis of Assisi with the stigmata, or St. Padre Pio, or, you know, St. Joseph Cupertino flying around, or whatever it is. That is sometimes a special grace to showing uh, what's dwelling really within. Okay. So, think this carefully over, sister, she says. The soul of the just man, the righteous man, that, that's her way of... That's her ornate way of saying that someone in a state of grace, okay, is nothing but a paradise in which God takes His delight. Okay, second point. I'm still thinking about that. I have five main points here tonight. We're on the soul. Saint Teresa says the very fact that His Majesty, she always calls Him Su Majestad, okay, so she always refers to Him in the third person, the very high. She's always very respectful. The fact that His Majesty says that is made the soul is made in His image means that we can hardly form any conception of the soul's great dignity and beauty. Why is she saying this? She's trying to encourage us at the beginning, because the hardest is the beginning to start this spiritual journey. She's trying to encourage the sisters. Look, this soul of yours that I'm talking about, that you go, well, I don't know, Mother, and there's a diamond in the paradise of God, okay, whatever. She says, no, this is something made by God. He made it in his own image, which we can't even fathom. And if it's image worthy enough, to be incarnate in his son and united divinely to, to his own divine person at the incarnation that's the same Christ Jesus Christ second person blessed Trinity has a human soul that's united fused you could say united personally to the essence of God so that's how wonderful the human soul is that's the height to which the human soul can be brought of course not we can't become God I don't mean that but that's, the, that's what the whole human soul is capable of God created it in a certain way to part- take of his infinite being. So, don't give your soul a short shrift, okay? <laughs> it's capable of things that we don't, most of us and who become saints, will have no idea of. Okay. So don't be discouraged. What, is he, what else does she say? God's will is that no bounds should be set to his works. Again, I think most of us, we might be kind of pusillanimous, small-souled. And we say, well, that's great to read about St. Teresa of Avila or St. Ignatius or any of these other great saints we read about, but, you know, that's not for me. That is a lie. That's the devil telling you that. He's the father of lies. Who, he doesn't want you to get holy, but there's a universal call to holiness. Each one of us... According to the way it should be, each one of us should reach that seventh mansion, should become united personally in this life as much as we can. We should reach that transforming union, and we'll talk about more of that later. That's the seventh mansion, okay? Each one of us on earth, that means we should become saints. It's not, oh, well, that only happens to one in like three billion people. No, it's supposed to happen to everybody, and if it doesn't, that's a tragedy, and it's our fault. And then we have to go to purgatory. (laughs) And then he'll make us saints. (laughs) And then we're ready to see God. And so it works out in the end. Not the same, but that's what happens. St. John the Cross says, if you go through all this and you reach the seventh mansion, you've done your purgatory. (laughs) You did it on earth, you see. And that's how hard it is. So that's why you have to say encouraging nice things at the beginning. (laughs) Because if you go through the dark night of the soul, he says, then you did it. That was your purgatory. You made it through. Okay, but that's more about that later. I just wanna let you know where we're going so we know what we're doing. Okay. So, so that's to be, to keep coming back to that. So as we go on through this, so right now at the beginning you think, well, it's no problem. Okay, as we get to the dark night of the senses and the dark night of the soul, you might start to say, well, I've never experienced that or I'm not interested in experiencing that. I'm happy just to be in a state of grace, I think, and to go to my Sunday mass and go home and live the rest of my life quietly. Well, that's not what God created you to do so sorry about your luck (laughs) okay so don't do that that would be pusillanimous small souled to do that and that would be sad because then that would be like the acorn that he planted or the man in the gospel who he gave the talents to one three five or one five ten and then you hit it and you didn't do anything with it and remember that one he got very angry with he said you know he took it away and gave it to somebody else so he doesn't want us just to stay where we are that's to be dead we have to grow and that's what he wants okay Great. So okay, maybe we're in the state of mortal sin or maybe we're not, but how do we get into this castle? Prayer. The door of entry, this is said now, the door of entry into this interior castle is prayer and meditation. We knew that all along, so if you're looking for another trick or uh, shortcuts, nope, not in the spiritual life, just like in real life. The door of entry into this castle is prayer and meditation. I do not say mental prayer Rather than vocal. She loves to not make that distinction, okay? She doesn't say, well, we got mental prayers over here and we got vocal prayers. Vocal prayers, the rosary, um, the breviary, the liturgy, mental prayer. She says, no, if it's going to be prayer at all, it must be accompanied by meditation. What does she mean? She explains the next sentence. If a person does not think about whom he is addressing and what he is asking for and who it is that is asking and of whom he is asking it, I do not consider that he is praying at all, even though he may be constantly moving his lips, blah, blah, blah. Okay, okay. so that's a traditional distinction between the mm, vocal and mental prayer. But she says, get that out of your head. <laughs> if you're praying at all, if you're saying your rosary beads, great. But for it to be prayer, it's not just you're moving your lips, as you know. You have to be looking with loving attention at the one to whom you're addressing. If you're meditating on Christ in the garden you're looking at Him as best you can and concentrating on Him. If you're looking at Our Lady's seven sorrows, if you're seeing a chaplet, you're thinking about Our Lady's (laughs) sorrows. And that is what you're doing. That is mental prayer. That's real prayer. (laughs) If we just go blah, 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 50 times, and okay, good, and now I'm done. Okay, that's not really prayer. (laughs) That's what our Lord says. It's not the people who multiply many things and say many things. That's vain, empty repetition is what our Lord says, okay? Now, when we're training like little ones and things, we're training them in the right way. So that's the beginnings kind of training wheels. So that's why we don't denigrate those things. So great, go ahead and teach your three or four or five-year-old. They can say the rosary. They're beginning, they're learning how. But for we, for us, rather, for us, as we try to go in, that's, that's the training wheels. That We don't just go through the motions. We have to engage the mind, the soul. Okay, good so that's the thing that's how we're going to move deeper into this interior castle we're going to talk a lot about that what is this prayer what is this meditation what is she talking about that's what the book is for <laughs> that's what she wrote it so how can we do this how can we practice this um, well she doesn't say so much about that so I'll probably have to jump in and maybe we'll have another class just about a brief introduction to that introduction to prayer introduction to meditation because the rest of it is how to move through it okay okay so that's the key. And we'll come back more to that. Um, And at this point she says, I think, well, look, I don't want to tell you all about methods of meditation and prayer because I wrote all about that in the Way of Perfection, so I'm not going to bore you with that again. So you can go read that if you want. Now, moving on. Okay. So I'll supplement it for you. And if there's any questions, we can uh, take those two and that'll be a fruitful jumping off point. Okay. So that's the entry into the castle. Well, how do we get thrown out of the castle? There's only one way. Only one person can throw us out of the interior castle us, okay, God willing to do it, the devil does not have the power to do it only we have the power to do it, if we choose mortal sin we throw ourselves out of the interior castle what does she say, while in a state like this, the soul finds profit in nothing and hence being as it is in the mortal sin none of the good works it may do, will be of any avail to win it any merit, any glory in heaven for they will not have these works that you might do. They will not have their origin in the first principle, which is God, through whom alone our virtue is true virtue. Okay. What does she mean? As you know, if you've read the chapter, she makes these bu- brilliant analogies very about how outside the interior castle, if you're not recollected, if you're not in the state of grace, she describes it as being populated by these poisonous beasts and serpents and dragons. Okay? That's the world, the flesh, the devil. Okay? So as we know, as St. Ignatius of uh, Loyola told us, there's only two standards, the <laughs> standard of Christ or the standard of the devil. There's no uh, tertium quid, and there's no third thing, okay? There's no third way. So we're either going in deeper into the interior castle or, like Lot's wife, we're kind of looking back longingly at the things of the world, even if we've entered the first mansion, second mansion, third mansion. But then we look back maybe and we go, well, I don't know and then we choose maybe to throw ourselves out of the castle. And she says, that's the noxious beast biting us, and we die, and we're out of the castle. And we have to pick ourselves up, and we begin again with the sacrament of confession, penance, of course. So that's it. So we know. So that's outside the castle, inside the castle. And then she says, of course, If you're in, out, in, out, and you're in those first mansions, he says, you're very weak, (laughs) you can hardly see, you can't hear, you're deaf and dumb and blind like the man in the gospel a few weeks ago, you hardly can even see anything, and also you're frightened because you still feel the pain of the bites of the wounds of the beasts and things. So this is how most of us are. We're kind of train wrecks, right? And so what's happening? We still have more than one foot maybe in the world, the world, flesh, and the devil, okay? And then... So there's this struggle. Of course the devil is going to try the most at the beginning because <laughs> if he can get you just to give up on this whole thing then he won. So the struggle is most difficult at the beginning to be habitual in the state of grace, to break definitively with vice. That's the hardest because we're the weakest at that point. We can't help ourselves much. So she tries to encourage the sisters. So how are we going to do this? What's what do we need? Well, we need many things. This can only be done. This is a divine work. So, sorry, I should have started with that. <laughs> this is a divine work. So, in all this, you might think, well, this sounds like Pelagianism, what St. Augustine hated. It sounds like if we do the right things and check off the right boxes, we can make ourselves holy. No. Only God makes you holy, okay? We all were born as train wrecks in the state of original sin, okay? We needed the grace of baptism. That's a divine work, the work of God. No one merited it. It's impossible to merit it, okay? Grazia, gratis, data, grace, freely given. It's a free gift. Couldn't do anything in the world to get it. So that's a profound humility we have. If we're in the state of grace here, we're baptized Catholic, well, we didn't do that. God did that. Okay? If we chose mortal sin, God forbid, how did we, did we raise ourselves from the dead? Nope, only one person did that, Christ. Okay? We didn't raise ourselves. God did it through the power of the sacrament. It's a great... Miracle. So... We have always the humility to the whole thing. Humility. All these mansions. This is a divine work. It's a divinum. Mm, yes. Uh, opus. Okay. Humility must always be doing its work like a bee making honey in the hive. Without humility, all will be lost. Okay. So just because if you've been, wow, I've been in a state of grace here for a few months or a few years here, I'm doing great. Be careful because pride goes before the fall, right? We can't be complacent. We have always to be going deeper. Again, there's, in the spiritual life, as you've heard this analogy, there's only you're going forward or you're going backward. You might think, well, I'm just kind of maintaining this nice... No. There's no maintenance. You're going forward or you're going backward. That's why we need that radical humility. Okay. Now, what does she suggest to the sisters that they meditate on in their periods of meditation? Well, again, she doesn't want to give you a manual. She's very free in this. Different ones are different, like St. Ignatius of Loyola in the Spiritual Exercises. He's going to give you all his directions because he's a military man. He's a Basque, okay? So he's got it all mapped out for you. Here you go. Day one, day two, up to the 30 days, okay? This is how you're going to do it. This is the time you're going to do it at and all that, okay? Methods are good. St. Teresa is a bit more free. She's not going to tell you all of that, doesn't mean she doesn't do it. She says she always went to prayer with her little book. Her little, I don't know, she had Imitation of Christ, or there was another uh, famous one that she always take with her. Not that she read it necessarily, but she had it, okay? So what are we going to meditate on? She just has this one thing to say in this first chapter one of the first mansions, and she'll say more about this as we go through the book. She just says this. This is very nice. We shall reach much greater heights of virtue. By meditating by meditating upon the virtue of God, then if we stay in our own little plot of ground and tie ourselves down to it completely. Okay, what does she mean? She means we need to have self-knowledge. That's very important. She spends a lot of time in the first chapter talking about self-knowledge. What are our faults? What are our vices? What's a principal vice, principal fault? We have to examine ourselves on those things. But she says, don't spend your meditation time just thinking so much about what a bad person you are, what your faults are, what your vices are, and what you're tempted by, and what you have to fight, and all that. She says, okay, you need that self-knowledge. But she says, better to spend your time meditating on the virtue of God, so of Christ, or a Blessed Mother, or the saints, to think about that. And there's your model, there's your image. She says, you're going to make much more progress that way than, that's what she means about thinking about divine things, virtue of God, than if we just stay in our own little plot of ground and just thinking about ourselves. Because then we're not going to be pulled up by anything. We're just going to be kind of sunk by our own weight. So we want to look at our positive examples. Okay. She will say more about that in Chapter 2, as I see my notes here for Chapter 2. But I think that is sufficient for the beginning. I want to give some time for questions and answers. And then maybe if there aren't a lot of questions, I will do more about the prayer and the meditation. So, Lecture One, Part B, <laughs> I'll say a little bit more then about prayer and meditation because she's not going to say a lot about it. So, okay, just real quick, if I had to say in five minutes, and she'll, I'm going to use some of her phrases, what is prayer? What is meditation? What, is it, what does she mean by mental prayer? There's lots of different, different definitions of prayer. Of course, the one we have from our catechism is a very good one a lifting up of the mind and the heart to God. It's a good definition she will speak more in terms of a loving look or a loving gaze to behold the beloved. She has a very intimate relationship with God and she uses those very intimate terms. She's going to use the transforming union. She's going to speak about the seventh mansions as a marriage, a mystical marriage. And uh, she's not the only one to do that. So that comes from the Song of Songs, the Canticle of Canticles. So it's a a loving attention, a look, a gaze at God or one of his saints, or one of God's works, with loving attention. That will be the beginning of prayer. And so it doesn't have to have words. It can be wordless. Think of when you see a beautiful sunset, you just stand there and gaze at it. And you wish you could just gaze at it for the whole time, but then it goes down. <laughs> so you're just in awe, you're struck. And as Plato says, as the Holy Father likes to he's, keep reminding us of this, In his um, Wednesday audiences talking about the way of beauty he says, the Holy Father says, quoting Plato that the beauty has that power to wound the soul I hope we've all had that experience of seeing a beautiful painting or a beautiful sunset, some work of God or some beautiful person who's doing something virtuous like a Teresa of the and you're just struck it can be painful sometimes you're just kind of, you're struck that's that arrow, it's the arrow of beauty wounding the soul okay that kind of thing that's the analogy that's the kind of thing that is happening too when you gaze at God he is the true the good the beautiful nothing more true good or beautiful than God he is those things in their essence he is all of them through and through so there is that idea just of looking gazing at God of course, we know we're mortals, not angels. We don't just have pure intellects, and so we can't always just have that glance, that pure look at God, because our little pea-like brains won't put up with that. Okay? We get bored. We don't. We can't do that. So the crucifix, as St. Teresa said, "Oh, St. Teresa, what or Mother, Holy Mother, what should we read?" And she says, "The only spiritual book you need is the crucifix." There you go. So you can throw your library away. No, but meaning that that's it. But again, that would be it. So if you could just have your crucifix and really pay attention to it and really think about what is being represented there, that is going to lead you into the whole interior castle. If you keep following those wounds of Christ, they're infinite. So you're not going to get to the end of it, you see. Okay, so what is this prayer? that's it it's a looking with love loving attention at God or his saints one of his works okay but then we need input sometimes we can't just we get we need input so that's the meditation and meditation she means by meditation she means something that's operating in a human mode in a discursive manner what does that mean? there's two different basic types of prayer one's the what we call discursive prayer which means that we're doing the work, okay? She's going to use the example of you have to go to the well and crank the handle down to get some of the water, the spiritual water, okay? You're doing the work. So you have those little books, Imitation of Christ, great one. Many saints have used it. St. Therese de Lisieux, her father, blessed Louis Martin, okay? You open the book. There it is, humility. My son, Christ is speaking. It is better to please the blessed Trinity than to discourse learnedly about the Blessed Trinity. Okay, you think about that for a little bit. Okay, you go on to the next little sentence, okay? That's called discursive, meaning discuro to run down, okay? Your mind's going from one point to another, to another, to another. The point is not to get through the meditation, okay? Quick, get to the end of that chapter. I'm done. Woo! <laughs> no. The point is to just take in one line slowly, Meditatively, with recollection looking at it and stay with it as long as you can if it's giving you um, food okay if it's water spiritual water that you're drinking in stay with it be silent okay and you'll know after practice when it's time to go to the next okay this isn't what God's he's not moving me with this right now and so I'm, I'm getting distracted now I'm thinking about my laundry list okay whoop next point okay now, and that's that's discursive meditation, okay? And there's wonderful little books out there. I always talk about Father Thomas DeBay, the late Father Thomas DeBay. God rest him. Father Thomas DeBay, uh, Prayer Primer, P-R-I-M-E-R, Prayer Primer. We have some in the bookstore. Father Thomas DeBay, Amerist Priest Society of Mary, S.M. Wonderful. Just a little book, okay? And goes into the more nuts and bolts how to begin your meditation, daily meditation. Archbishop Sheen, St. Francis de Sales, all these other great saints always talk about, stress the importance of the holy hour of the spending. As our Lord said, could you not watch one hour with me? That too was our daily bread, our super substantial food. In addition to the Blessed Eucharist, okay, we have also the daily meditation, extremely important. Father Thomas de Bay is a great master of the interior life, and he says in his very large book, excellent book, um, Hearts on Fire. No, that's not quite it. Anyway, I'll get back to it in a minute. In his longer treatise on prayer, he speaks of that there's always, there's three things that are always there if someone's growing. There's a growth in virtue, the deepening of your prayer life. Um, Sorry, these things go together. So the deepening of your prayer life, you're spending more time in meditation, you're being generous in the practice of the virtues, okay? Those are the signs that your spiritual life is growing, okay? So the, but the daily time in mental prayer is one of those key elements. So, that's just a little bit, six and a half minutes, on prayer and meditation. And that is just, it's essential. Some people think, well, no, that's only for Carmelites or cloistered folks or religious. No, it's for everyone. St. Francis de Sales wrote his book, Introduction to the Life. Wonderful. That was for lay people, really. And of all, it doesn't matter what state in life you're in. Everyone needs that daily mental prayer daily mental prayer part of that could be your rosary if you're praying it in that real uh, real way as Santa Teresa of Avila said that could be part of your holy hour okay so your whatever 15-20 minutes or however you say your rosary okay and again what's the point of that Mysteries is it to get through with those 10 Hail Marys to get to the next one no think about the little those the holy children there those little children of Fatima right they were saying the rosary badly at first right so the angel had to come and teach them and then our lady that's pretty good so what's the point of all that the point of that is that, remember after the first apparition of the angel, they were just, they couldn't even, like they couldn't even talk. They didn't even want to talk to one another or they didn't want to even say anything about it because what was happening to those little souls? They were just, the beauty of that angel, they were just, their souls were kind of enraptured by it. And so, that's the essence of it. <laughs> That's the essence of it, okay? So, at any rate. So the point of the meditation, the rosary, or whatever little book you're using, is not to get to the end of the chapter or to finish the decade, but it's to be, with, be present with that mystery as much as you can. So, okay. That's just a very short introduction, but I thought it was important. So.